0: the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing, this is World of Wonders WOW Report, things that make us go wow.
1: Well hello and welcome to this week's edition of the WOW Report, where we count down the top 10 things that make us go wow. That's it, that's right, James St. James, Blake Jacobs, and myself, Fenton Bailey. Um, we're all here and we do our usual thing of counting down the top 10 things. You know, this week is a special edition. It's the COVIDversary. It's the first anniversary of us all being in lockdown. Who knew that? I, oh, yeah.
0: Is this something we should be celebrating? Is this something we should be having cakes and balloons and,
1: and, and woohoo? I, it's a milestone, it, right? It is a milestone. In, in some respects, it feels like 10 years. In other respects, it feels like a week. I, I, I don't have no accounting for it. It's such a bizarre I, I don't thing.
0: have that week feeling to me. It's been exactly 10 years. It has been, it's, It feels like a long time. It has been uh, 10 years to the day since we, the last time I was in the building for work, it's, it's um, it's it's very strange that I've lost touch with everybody. I don't even remember anyone's name anymore. Who are you? <laughs> Who the hell are you?
1: Who am I? I often face this existential question myself at like three am in the morning. I wake up, who am I? I often um, think of
0: 3 a.m. I think, wake up thinking about you, too, and say, who the hell does he think he is?
1: <laughs> you wake up thinking, how dare you? <laughs> well, let's, let's launch into the countdown of top 10 things this week that made us go, wow, number 10. Oh, it's me. Number 10. H&M. As Rue said, I don't want to see any fucking H&M, but this was the week we saw plenty of Harry and Meghan. The Oprah interview, James. Did you watch it?
0: Well, I was thinking that we should probably just do ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one about Harry and Meghan because there is just so much to
1: unpack here. I agree. Let's see how we go. I mean, I, I, I know that like a lot of the details have been well recapped already. You know, like the color of the skin of the baby and the fact that the baby doesn't have a title and security protection and. Her suicidalness, but I thought one of the things that really popped out for me was when she said that when she was trying to describe to people what it's like being in a becoming a princess and being in the palace. I mean, just as a quick aside, I'm sure I'm not alone in being highly skeptical of the fact that she did not Google Prince Harry or the royal family or any. But anyway, leaving that aside, you know, she said, you know, she'd been in the palace, she hadn't left the house in four months, and. She had surrendered her driver's license, her passport, her keys. And she said it was like being in lockdown, which I think some people took great offense to. Like, how can you say that being a princess in a palace is like being in lockdown? But I thought it was a very.
0: Right. I I think that's very very naive. It's very naive if you think that that being a princess is just a a walk in the park and every day is nothing but walking around, getting free gifts and, and having people curtsy to you.
1: Exactly. I mean, years ago, we made a series about um, the Duchess of York, Sarah Ferguson, and it quickly, you know, any idea that it's a romantic, idyllic lifestyle, being in a royal family, you quickly get disabused of that. It is kind of like a shit show. And I, I thought Oprah was a bit disingenuous saying, oh, but you're a princess. You can go anywhere you want. Or nobody tells the queen what to do. And I thought that that was faux naivety on her part because I think well, she I knows
0: that, herself. She was, part of her job is to be every man and to ask the questions that she thinks her audience is probably wanting to know. But we know that Oprah knows better. Is one of the most famous people in the world. She obviously knows better. What I'm interested in, Fenton, with you is the very sharp divide that I see online between the Brit's and the Americans and the Americans seem to fall in line behind Harry and Meghan and say, "Yes, we understand what you did was for your family. We love you for this. You know, we understand how horrible they can be that the, the the royals." And then on the British side, even anti-monarchists are talking about just what horrors. Harry and Meghan are and what terrible people they are and how dare they leave the the firm and how dare they abandon their duty and how dare they do that to the one, you know, the queen and blah, blah, blah. And I want to know as a former Brit and a now uh, the most American person I know where you fall on that.
1: I fall all over the place. It's it's as uncomfortable for me as the as the Woody Allen Mia Farrow series. I'm just like I don't know which side I'm on, and it doesn't feel. I just don't know that I should be watching this. It feels like a sort of not unsavory, but just you, you feel you're eavesdropping on a family squabble, and you just feel a little like not dirty, but just oh, I just feel uncomfortable. I mean, the Brits do definitely. They've all fallen in line against the let's hate on Meghan. Thing. Yeah.
0: yeah which very is very, so.
1: uh, and I think the sort of the great mystery here is Brits do tend to, they're cynical about the monarchy, they're anti monarchy, that they're, they're all these things. They can be liberal, they can be conservative, but then everybody just seems to swoon before the Queen. And I think if you watch The Crown, it's the same thing. I don't think Peter Morgan, who wrote or created The Crown, is pro monarchy, but there's this sort of swoon factor about the Queen herself. And mixed in with that stoic personality is this sort of idea that there's this system or this institution that withstands all the tests of time and somehow we owe it loyalty. It's a bizarre sort of paradox and it it's, it, it's- inexplicable to me.
0: But why it it has to be race when it comes to Megan? Because the way they 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 fawn over Kate is so different. They show I've I've seen side by side articles where Kate e- eats avocado toast and how amazing is that? And then Megan has avocado toast and she's dis- decimating the avocado industry.
1: I love that headline. Well, I didn't love it, but um, in in I think it was in the Express. It said the pregnant Duchess of Sussex is wolfing down a fruit linked to water shortages, illegal deforestation, and all-round general environmental devastation.
2: But,
0: okay, but when does it, like She's a trendy, she loves her avocado toast, isn't she one of us? It just makes no sense of the difference, the, the, the way that she is treated. It has it's, to be racism. It just, there cannot be, be no other, you know. I
1: I think racism is a part of it, but I don't think it's the whole story. And the, and the other thing I think sort of Oprah didn't completely get, and maybe she was just being a provocateur, is the fact that really the royal family doesn't really have any power. And there was an article in the Irish Times that really explained it. They say, the contemporary royals have no real power. They serve entirely to enshrine classicism in the British non-constitution. They live in high luxury and low autonomy, cosplaying as their ancestors and are the subject of constant psychosocial projection from people mourning the loss of empire. And I, I think that's just brilliant. Yeah, and but, says it all. Uh,
0: Basically, they're nothing more than celebrities, and no celebrity has any real power. So they are just the uber celebrity who has absolutely no power any more than Tom Cruise has power, or, or Gwyneth Paltrow has real power anywhere.
1: All right. Well, I think that's completely... Yes, that's completely true. And in fact, this article says that what's going on here is a union between the royal family and Californian celebrity. And she says, the the writer says, only one of those things has a future, and it's the one with the Netflix deal. Hmm. And, you know, as we know, Harry and Meghan have the Netflix deal. And even though The Crown is on Netflix and is about the royal family, they don't have a Netflix deal. So basically they're saying, you know, royal family... Harry and Meghan, you know. Well, we have
0: a lot more to discuss on this. So let's we'll move on, to, well, let's move
1: on to number nine. Let's move on to number nine.
2: Number nine. So uh, this person is kind of like the UK version of a Bill O'Reilly here in the US, I guess. Or Piers- Sean
0: Kennedy, definitely.
2: Or, yeah, Rush Limbaugh. Pierce Morgan. you do you mean, the, all the
0: people on the planet, just a loathsome, loathsome man. He just has a face that you want to punch.
2: He does you guys saw he is a host of Good Morning Britain, and apparently the night that Megan met harry they Megan was out with Pierce Morgan. And then after she met Harry, she never took his calls anymore, allegedly or whatever. And Here's what the is thing about ben... Piers
1: Morgan. There isn't a single story that he doesn't put himself right at the center of. He was probably at 9 in the World Trade Center. He's also actually weirdly quite infamous in America because he spectacularly failed when he took over Larry King's spot on CNN. And I suppose the only the other thing he's known for is winning the Celebrity Apprentice. I mean, is that anything to be proud of? You know, winning a contest hosted he, he, by a corrupt president and a failed businessman? You know, you know? He,
0: he's very famously in tight with Trump. And he oversees, he is Trump's biggest supporter, I think, in the UK. And he famously just churned out column after column in the Daily Mail every day about pro-Trump. Um, and he did the same thing. I, I he did 23 articles last week about Meghan Markle. He's done something like like over a hundred he's done hundreds and hundreds of articles that just bash Megan Markle over the last couple of years. And
2: all because all allegedly because she shunned him and quit taking his calls. That's if the only you reason.
0: Believe for one second. that Megan Markle went on a date with him. I think he, that is, he is absolutely out of his mind. She probably saw him there and went over and said hello. And he just spun that into, they were going to be engaged. Because anyway, anyway, well, he was
2: on his store. He was on his show. Good morning, Britain. And he's always railing against Megan. As you know, the weatherman, Alex Beresford, actually took him to task and went in and was like, you're always coming on. It's your
0: problem, dude. We know that she blew you off. And can I just say that Alex Beresford is a hot. I
1: mean, my God, his Instagram, he has two Instagram accounts. One is a a sort of fitness thing and just lots of thirsty pictures. I'm sure Jen, you've been studying them.
0: I mean, my God. And Alex
1: is mixed race and he called Piers out and Piers, you know, as with all bullies and cowards is someone who can dish it out, but can't take it. So he gets up and storms off.
2: And then up. Apparently quits, but now it's coming out that he might have been fired because there were like forty one thousand complaints against Pierce Morgan for that broadcast in the UK, and apparently Meghan Markle was one of them. Rumored, that's so. hysterical.
0: But it literally he the the, the weather guy Alex went in on him and it was literally about 35 seconds into it before Pierce was like, I can't do this. I've had enough. And he stomped off. And you wonder how much of it was performative because he, he knew that by doing that it would go viral. And he ended up being, he ended up taking over Mary and and Megan as the story of the, of the, of the day. Yeah.
1: Oh, that's another function of Piers as as professional parasite is to jump on
2: any story
1: and use it to leverage his own fame and notoriety.
2: Well, and I just saw this is spilled over to American talk show TV because Sharon Osborne is on the talk and is a big Pierce Morgan supporter.
0: Sharon Osborne is unfortunately incredibly, incredibly right wing and incredibly conservative. And you want to love her because we all had such fond memories of, you know, the Osborne show and everything and thinking that she was such a lovely mom. But she really, her politics are just.
2: Well, she and co-host Cheryl Underwood almost came to blows on the talk. So it'll be interesting.
0: It's very Elizabeth Elizabeth Hasselbeckian in in her politics.
1: It's interesting how this has got everybody sort of riled up, taking a side, you know, getting sort of hot and bothered under the collar.
0: And, well, and I, I'm, you know, I maintain that Harry, you know, is someone who, you know, had to walk behind his mother's coffin. He was forced to do that in front of the entire world. He watched his mother be, you know, hounded by the press. His mother, you know, died because of the press. And I have, I, I am just firmly in in belief that he should be, you know, he should have, uh, the, the guards. And I, I think, yeah, I think it's the right thing by getting his family out.
2: Well, <laughs> hopefully, Pierce Morgan will go back. Under the rock that he came from, he, he's, no. he, he's still
0: railing on. He still has his Daily Mail pulpit, and it, it'll be, a, I, I believe, any second now he's going to get another TV show. People, yeah. uh,
1: I, I did, just want to give on this topic the last word to Jody Harsh, who said, tweeted, um, "Piers Morgan's pronouns are was and were," which <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was very fitting. Okay, um, number eight, James. What are we talking about at number eight? Number eight. Well, we're still talking about
0: Harry and more and, and Meghan because we just—it it, it just there is just so much. I did want to just very quickly. I wanted to say that the Queen broke her silence. Remember, it, 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 she famously does not like to comment on on real world situations. She thinks it's beneath the dignity of the palace. It takes a lot to get her to talk. Remember when she spoke about COVID last year, it was the first time in like 40 years that she had had, had spoken when it wasn't Christmas. She does her annual Christmas, you know, thing. But for her to actually break down, it was like World War II the last time she actually spoke to the people. But she did come out and say, and she had a, a, a quote, and it was very short and concise and to the point, and I'm going to read it very quickly. She said, to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for Harry and Megan, uh, the whole family is saddened by that. Uh, the issues raised, particularly that of race, are concerning. And while recollections may vary, which is a very pointed thing to say, are, are they're being taken very seriously and will it be addressed by the family privately. And then she also said Megan and Harry will always be much-loved family members, and that was it. And it's very much uh, sort of a non-comment. It's like we understand that some people think there are problems, it may vary who thinks what, and we'll deal with it privately. And so we don't – we'll never really get a satisfying answer as to who the racist was, which my money is on uh, uh, Charles. Um.
2: I think it, yeah, or um, that cousin Michael or whatever who wore oh, the brooch. Michael
0: of Kent who always wears the little black and more mm. robe. I so don't was, think, I sort of the think there is
1: this, there's this d- distinction you have to make between the members of the family and the firm or the institution that they're a part of. And I think there are these very powerful advisors or, you know, lifetime civil servants who really are the ones – I would imagine it was one of those because the royal family, the, the 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 firm side of the royal family, is forever living in fear of the narrative because basically they have no more power. They are sort of decorative. They know that they're, they're the all very.
0: They're, they're Stephen Miller and, and Kellyanne Conway's type people. Yes, exactly, okay.
1: exactly. Yes, I believe that is the case. Yes, the little Jared right, let, Kushner types, yes, lurking well, in the background. Mm, but Christian is like oh, anyway. All right. Well, let's take a break. Um, I have to tell you new episodes. Well, I have to. I'm excited to tell you. I urge you to watch new episodes of the T.S. Madison experience starring T.S. Madison Thursdays, 10 p.m. on WeTV. Um, and you can catch up on past episodes on the T V app. OK, we're going to take a break. Blake, have you got a question?
2: Of course I do. So, Enrics, the Washington based traffic technology and data company, has released its 2020 global traffic scorecard.
0: I'm already confused.
2: (laughs) Okay. On average, American drivers lost 26 hours stuck in traffic in 2020, which is way down. So, how many hours in 2019 do you think the average American spent stuck in traffic?
0: Oh.
1: Uh, right interesting question in this time of the pandemic um we'll be right back after the break you're listening to the wow report on radio andy
2: you're listening to world of wonders wow report things that make us go wow
1: hey welcome back to the wow report i'm fenton uh, co-founder of world of wonder here with james st james editor of the wow report and blake our producer standing in for tom campbell who is in foreign lands on mystery secret assignments.
2: <laughs>
1: Forever, from what I gather, <laughs> I don't think we'll ever see you again.
2: Um, so,
1: okay, uh, what was the question?
2: So, this company called Enrix, they released their 2020 Global Traffic Scorecard. And in 2020, the year of the pandemic, the average American spent 26 hours stuck in traffic. Which is way down from previous years.
0: I, how it, many- it, I, I can't even imagine being I, there. Was, there was no traffic. I didn't go anywhere. I, it, it, 20 hours seems long to me. But anyway, keep going.
2: So, how many hours was the average American stuck in their car in 2019? Per week. Which was pre
1: pandemic, the last year. year before the pandemic, right? Oh, a
0: year. <laughs> oh, a year. Okay.
1: Right, and I think you (laughs) When you first said traffic I just assumed you meant internet traffic And streaming, I didn't even think about Being behind the wheel of a car Um, It's such an alien idea I'm going to guess If it was 26 hours I'm going to say 80 or 90, maybe even 100 I'm going to say
0: 72
2: (laughs) Fenton, you're just over It was 99 hours Wow in wow. 2019, the average American spent 99 hours stuck in traffic.
1: I'll be ding dong. I had <laughs> no idea.
2: <laughs> Let's
1: carry on counting down the top 10 things that made us go wow this week. At number seven, we have, back by popular demand, the Randy Surprise. Number seven. This is our number seven surprise. It's Randy, back again by popular demand. And, but you're becoming <laughs> a bit of a diva, Randy, with your demands Um, Well, first of all, thank you all for inviting me back. I really appreciate it. I'm
3: grateful. You know, it's hard for me to fit it in because I'm so hard doing the windows, cleaning the floors, keeping this place going. Um, Here's what I wanted to talk about very briefly this week. You, You all know that I have two kids and I, one of the things I do is I try and play them lots of music that I listen to. So, you know, they're pretty good at they have a great sort of uh, musical history.
0: How, how long do you think this is going to last? Once they hit 13, 14, don't you think all your musical taste is going to go out the window and they're going to hate everything? Well, no, because know.
3: I also have contemporary musical taste. I mix my old music with contemporary music and I make playlists for them. Like, you know, <laughs> wow. we know all the words to UK Hun. Um so <laughs> Big Bang Wong we're totally up to speed on everything that's happening now and the past because you can't have the present without the past. Anyway, they're big fans of of uh Whitney, big fans of Brandy. So of course when I saw that Cinderella was going to be on Disney Plus, I turned it into pizza night movie night. And um okay, and I just want to talk about it for a couple of minutes because
0: Anyway, it, is, it is my favorite version of Cinderella. I love that one so much. I hope you love it too.
3: I, I, I loved it to death. And where was I? I was asleep. It was in the ni- 1997, I guess. I had no idea. It was such an important film. It was blind casting Mixed racial mom and dad, the king. I, and the I think queen.
0: it was one of the first colorblind castings that I really remember coming across because Whoopi was the was the queen, um the father was Jason or the king was Jason Alexander, this the, the prince was this Asian hot Asian guy. I don't even know yeah. who it is. And then there's like every it made no sense, but it made perfect sense for Disney at the time and it was absolutely gorgeous.
3: And Bernadette Peters was the the stepmother <laughs> and she's hysterical in it. I mean, I loved it. It is pretty rotten, too. It's awful. It's bad in a beautiful way. But let me tell you. The, what I we,
0: the whole concept, the whole 90s, everything was purple in that weird, though. Everything was uh, whooshy in the gold swirls. And it was just, I mean, really ugly to and look it's at. like it.
3: shot on video or something like that. And, yeah, you know, yeah, it's definitely worth seeing. But, you know, after I watched it, then I Googled it. and I learned about its significance and all that and that there's a whole generation, you know, Uh, Todrick did some viral video with Brandy like that's how it came into my consciousness anyway long story long the thing that I really started to becoming obsessed with was Whitney like all the green screen in it which then made me think of the Mariah Carey Christmas special and all the green screen in that which then made me think of like oh my god that is the future of movies like we are going to see, I think, like there will be no sets anymore. Who needs a set? Why does like not just movies, like did 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 Oprah really need to be with with Megan and Harry? Couldn't they have just been on green screen somewhere? and like I, what, I, like
0: I I do know that the soap operas now are almost completely green screen and no no two people are together and they have mannequins that they put the wigs of people so you can get the back shot of the wig and everybody just talks to mannequins from now on. I and love it's been like that. Every six months.
3: I love it because it adds this layer of intrigue. It, it, I, I love it because it's like, wait, is she in the room with her? Did Mariah... Really, was Mariah when she's outside the window and Billy Eichner sitting down and she comes in and and snoot and I don't know if you saw the Mariah Carey Christmas special. I saw it like four times, of course, because of my kids, um but yes. Yeah. It just adds this whole th- dimension. And so anyway, that's all I have to share. I think it
0: makes you a better actor if you can, if you can, because they, they make out with sex dolls on soap operas. Now, if you can convincingly have a love scene with a sex doll on camera, then I think that makes you a better actor. I think it, it really shows who has the chops and who doesn't. Although I do know that when um uh when they sing, it's possible for a strange, <laughs> it's possible that uh-huh. that was actually. I've seen them in, in the studio together. There's a great clip of the two of them reacting together. And Whitney is so wonderful to Brandy. She just is, that's a uh, relationship.
3: She's is, like, uh, it has to go uh, up. She asked her to sing up, right? I, I saw <laughs> that clip up uh-huh. like 48 times. Uh-huh. Like, oh my God. Yeah, I want awesome.
0: in my funeral. I want the gavotte to be played uh, as everybody <laughs> walks in. You know the do 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 do. Can we play that on the way out because that is my favorite song of all time?
2: I think whenever your funeral comes around, they're going to be playing that or the Benny Hill song. Okay,
3: you guys I gotta go I gotta go clean the bathrooms now. All right. <laughs> Good to see you.
1: Is that Thank the cleaning bye bye. the bathroom? Yeah, right. Well, okay, moving on to number six. Number six.
0: Well, we have an exciting bit of movie news uh, this week. It was announced, Deadline announced that Elizabeth Banks was directing a new movie called Cocaine Bear, and it's a true story. And it's a story that we talked about here on the Wow Report. We I did. Think- a couple years ago, yes. there is a uh, There was a bear, a stuffed bear, a taxidermied bear at a museum in Kentucky. And the story behind the bear is that it was a black bear in the forest. And one day, this was in the 1980s, it was in Kentucky, a famous drug dealer named... Andrew Thornton was in a private plane going over and there was a drug drop and he dropped a duffel bag with 70 pounds of cocaine into the forest that another drug dealer was supposed to come and pick up. And the drug dealer was waylaid and wasn't able to make the wasn't able to get to it in time. And instead, a 175 pound black bear stumbled across the duffel bag and tore it open and ate 70 pounds of cocaine, which, I you know. The- I, you we know a lot of bears at precincts who can mm-hmm. do a lot of cocaine,
1: uh-huh. but <laughs> what, now- can just a- say, can I get can just put, you said one hundred and seventy five pound bear. That is a tiny bear. I, that did- bear weighs less than I do.
0: Well, I don't know that you should be admitting that, darling. No. But um, uh, I guess maybe it was a baby bear. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. But it was, or maybe it was a skinny little bear. I have. I, maybe it was a bear who did a lot of cocaine. Usually, but seventy pounds is a lot for a bear to eat, and he died because of it. And so now they're making a movie, and the movie is being produced by uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller and Phil Lord and Chris Miller are the geniuses behind Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the Lego movies, the Batman Lego movies, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, 21 Jump Street. They're really sort of a dynamic duo of of writing and producing. And so they're doing it now to me, what I just told you, I don't know how you fill a two hour movie of a bear eating cocaine and dying and make it into like a a horror comedy, which is what they say they're going to do. I don't know who the who's casting. I don't know who the bear is going to be played by.
2: Well, but... and all of their previous movies seem kind of like kids or like family friendly ish so it's interesting well they also
1: takes a sort of drug-fueled inspired trip so it's a sort of cocaine with a charge of meatballs sort of thing (laughs) i have a feeling
0: we will see maybe the bear's interior mind as he is tripping balls on on all the cocaine but they all they've also done like last man's last man on earth um they've done a lot they do a lot of tv they, i mean they they're okay. very known for their like just out of the box thinking so i think if anyone can do it they can do it it's supposed to be coming next summer and i just i'm i'm sort of excited about this one
2: well i hope i can see it in a theater
0: well there you go cocaine. Really... <laughs> cocaine Bear, directed by elizabeth banks and uh, was produced by Chris Miller and Phil Lord and I I did one time and I just want to say I met Phil Lord I was with Darren one time and we went to go have lunch and we saw this hot guy sitting with a laptop and we were just enthralled by him because he was so cute and such a hot little nerd that we went up to him and introduced ourselves and filmed him for like a daily freak show which was something like in 2008 we were doing and um We call him the cutest boy in the world eating a hamburger. And we just filmed him eating a hamburger and come to find out he was writing at the time he was writing 21 Jump Street. And he told us and we were like, it's never going to work. And we went off laughing at this person.
1: (laughs) All right. okay, keep checking the wow report for more information on the cocaine bear movie. Um, Number five. Number five. I got this for Christmas. Oh, I love it. I know exactly what it is. Me too. Um, Well, actually, Nolan gave me this for Valentine's Day, and Randy also gave me the same sweater for Christmas. Wait, so you have a whole bunch of
0: them? Hmm? You have a whole bunch of them? Are you going to give them I have
1: two. Uh, One is a medium, which I won't fit into, and one is an extra large, which will just about, this is the extra large. But listen, so what I'm holding up here is a red jumper, as we call them in England, um, with lots of white sheep on it, And one of them is a black sheep. And the significance of this sweater or jumper is that it was worn by Princess Diana in the early 1980s at a couple of polo matches with Prince Charles. And it has literally just been reissued by rowing blazers in collaboration with Warm and Wonderful. And Warm and Wonderful was the original company uh, led by uh, Osborne and Muir who designed this sheep sweater that Diana kind of made famous when she wore it. I I mean, I've never really given the sweater a second thought, but I guess horrible. it is highly freighted, highly significant, because yeah. here, here, here's Diana, the rebel, the royal rebel, the black sheep of the dynasty, wearing this sort of this iconic sweater. What do you think, James? Well, you know, Diana really had horrible... Horrible taste. It she is was, pretty ugly, actually. She she one of the, almost she qualifies. The, the
2: as frumpiest women.
0: Yeah, she was one of the frumpiest women in England. You got People talk about how what, what a style icon she was. She really couldn't wear it. I mean, everything those jumpers and the the, the big prairie dresses and, and the hat. I mean, she was just awful. It wasn't until after she you know left the royal family that she was able to em- embrace herself. Says
2: the person who super glues yarn to their head.
0: How? Oh, you're (laughs) talking about me? How dare you? But But during the 80s, she really did have some horrible style. But this is one of the one things that I absolutely love. I So wear it with pride. I I just saw Rob Lowe bought one. I've seen a number of celebrities showing themselves on Instagram. I on
2: want one. I want to wear it home for Christmas next year. Well, of course, it's very timely because a lot of people are comparing
1: the Harry and Meghan, or uh, well, basically the Meghan interview because, you know, Harry only appears in the last bit. The, the Meghan interview with the Diana bombshell interview. Well, I don't I mean, know.
0: If, 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 did you see that they're also comparing it to the famous Wallace Simpson, Mrs. Uh, you know, Duchess of Windsor, what, because yeah. she wore the exact same hair and the exact uh-huh. same outfit that the Duchess of Windsor. Which who would want to compare themselves to that Nazi-loving old bitch? But apparently, she she Megan sort of did copy her style a bit.
1: I think it's you know I do think this Harry and Meghan thing is fascinating and is going to resonate for some time. I I think we're sort of right in the middle of it right now and we can't really see how it's going to pan out. And I think it's, I think it's going to be interesting. I
0: maybe <laughs> Harry and Meghan should star in Cocaine Bear. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I think they're busy with their Netflix deal. Um, I did ask someone at Netflix what they're doing, and I got the
2: answer: Well, you'll just have to wait and see.
1: So <laughs> All right, let's take a break. Uh, Blake, have you got a question for us,
2: I do. Um, So it's been a year of the coronavirus shutdown. This song has just broke a record. Um, It's been in the top ten for an entire year. What song is it?
1: Oh, I think I fifty-two weeks. All right, okay. Um, Let's take a break. We'll have the answer when we come back. You're listening to the Wow Report on Radio Andy.
0: You're listening to World of
1: Wonders Wow Report.
0: Things that make us go wow.
1: And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James and Blake. I just want to tell you that um, Wojnarowicz, Fuck You fucker, opens uh, virtually one week from today on March 19th. Uh, it's being released by Kino Lorba. And uh, virtual screenings at Film Forum. Um, You can go to filmforum.org to get tickets. No, it's really good. hopefully we'll be able to get Chris
0: on the show. I know he's very busy doing interviews and everything like that, but maybe next week we could have him talk about the show a little
1: bit. That would be fantastic. Let's get him on next week.
2: Um, Blake, what was the
1: uh, question?
2: So um, this song just broke a record. It has been in the top 10 steadily for one year, 52 weeks. What is the song?
0: I'm going to say Chumbawamba Tub Thumping, which has made a remarkable comeback, and everybody is singing it again.
2: Oh, is it? Is that
1: the one uh, I get knocked down? Mm -hmm. I get knocked down, but I get up again because it's very Why is that back? Why is that back?
2: It's not.
1: (laughs) Uh, Isn't it it the Old Town Country Road thing?
2: Ah, no. It is actually The Weeknd's Blinding Lights.
0: I know hmm. i can't just the weekend i i hey, shut
2: hey. up i'm obsessed with the weekend I this era of the I weekend is amazing it.
1: all right we reach number 4 in our countdown of the things that made us go wow
2: number 4 i just wanted to talk a little bit about two um things that are on the wow report this week we go we have high and we have low the high Jimmy Fallon has listed his penthouse it's a three-floor country house in the sky for 15 million and have you guys seen the pictures of this
0: girl do you remember the old um, cowgirl cafe in in in, in at New York there were there were a couple there was like when they, Do you remember the Cowgirl Cafe? And it was just like, it was like you stepped into Houston, 1976. There might have, it looks like there should be a bunking Bronco in Jimmy Fallon's apartment.
2: I am so into it. I feel like maybe the first picture I saw was the picture with the blue sectional and the green rug, you know, and it looks super kitschy with wood paneling on the wall. I love that room. It has really cool, like, throwback. Kind of 60 psychedelic flowers.
0: Did you spend a lot of time in a friend's basement with a pool table and in the wood paneling and everything back in Arkansas? We
2: didn't have wood basements wood. in Arkansas. They didn't. No. Mm-mm. Oh, Okay. But I mean, it's a huge house. I love all the rooms. The rooms have super cute wallpaper on them. I mean, not every. It's not everyone's taste, but.
0: I don't think it's anyone's taste, but yours <laughs> and be <G> balanced,
2: right? <laughs> How dare you? Okay, well then let's go to the low. Um, Lady Gaga's apartment that she wrote her debut album in is now up for sale. And have you guys seen, or not for sale, for rent. She rented it back in the day, I think in 2008 for $1,100 a month. And now it's renting for 2000 Trey on the WOW Report seemed to think that it was a dump but I would have totally lived there. Well, at 2000
0: in Manhattan, I mean that's still pretty that's that's pretty cheap. I don't think you can Was it a one or two bedroom?
2: It's a one bedroom, but I would think for that price you would get like a studio apartment, right? I
0: was going to say I think studios are like 2400 now easily in, in This is
2: a lower East Side walk-up, one bedroom with, you know, a kitchen, a bathroom. The appliances look new. I think it She said that she spent many a nights on the floor and she can't imagine like being on the floor there with all the bed bugs and roaches, but I think she was just being like...
0: Oh, she was being dramatic. Yeah. I do remember my first apartment in New York. It was on the Bowery, Bowery and Fourth, and it was 600 a month, and it was three bedrooms, I think. Whoa. And I had, I had four roommates, so we all ended up paying like $130 or something apiece. Fenton, do you remember your first apartment in New York and how much it was?
1: Yeah, it was a loft on Broadway in Soho, which then was like an industrial sweatshop region, you know, and it was, um, I think it was $500 a month.
2: (laughs) Oh my God. God.
0: That's so crazy. I did also want to just point out another real estate thing that I, that I was sort of gasping about the next door neighbors to Harry and Megan in Montecito back in in Santa Barbara here, I think it's Rob Lowe and he just put his on sale and it was something for like 24 million. And it had like 18 bathrooms and seven bedrooms and, uh, you know, uh, a, library in a bowling alley in a movie theater it was just one of those houses that's amazing and i i would drop everything and move to santa barbara in a did it work. have
2: tacky wallpaper and wood paneling
0: i i don't know i didn't see the insides but fencing what were you just gonna say
1: no, I was just going to say Montecito is a little enclave of super-duper rich. I mean, Oprah has her home there. Tyler Perry has her home. Her best friend has Gail her, has so her home.
0: It was right down the street from the mall. So it does sort of seem like a clicky little area. Yeah, they yeah. go and Ellen a couple
1: from each other. You
2: know? Yeah,
0: Ellen famously
1: has a as a place right there, too.
2: Well, and they got, like, uh, destroyed by those landslides a couple of years well, ago.
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, when you got 50 hectares, I mean, like, a mudslide isn't – I mean, I will tell you one thing about Oprah's place because I've been there um, and interviewed the Duchess of York. No, it's so funny. You drive along the street and you get to a little house and you think this doesn't look like much. But that uh, you just pull into the driveway of this little house and someone comes out and says, hello. And I'm like, "Is is this Oprah's house? And they're like, yeah, yeah, you're in the right place. But then it turns out that that house on the street, that suburban house is really just the gatehouse and you drive through what used to be the yard of this house, and then an enormous Jane Austen-like parkland opens up with fountains and rivers and lakes and a Palladian mansion on top of a hill.
0: It's- I think I think you're gonna have to do a whole other segment about how you and Oprah have been hanging out together, and all the times you spend with Gayle <laughs> and Stedman, and how it, how long. Listen, I think this should to be your.
1: <laughs> Did you tell us regale us with stories of you and Oprah? Actually, I'm not gonna do that, James. What's at number three? Number three. I have a story to tell
0: you at number three. My God, it's the TikTok true horror story of the century. I don't know if you guys have been following this. There was a woman in New York, uh, speaking of New York uh, residences and New York apartment, her name was Samantha Harto, and she Felt she was in her house, and her house was inexplicably cold. Her apartment was just chilly, and she couldn't figure it out. There seemed to be a breeze coming from somewhere. She narrowed it down to the bathroom. She went in the bathroom, and like her hair was blowing. She was tick tocking, like for like there was actually a breeze coming from her bathroom. And she kept looking and looking, and it was coming from her bathroom cabinet, like the mirror on her cabinet. And she was like, "What the hell is this?" And she has her camera, and she's short, and she takes the mirror. The bathroom cabinet mirror off the wall. And lo and behold, there's a hole behind the bathroom cabinet. And she puts her flashlight in. And she's like, oh, my God. There's a whole other room behind the bathroom cabinet. And so it looks like there was somebody in there. Not at the time. But she could see garbage Drew and Oliver well like any good horror film character, she decides to crawl through the hole and go into the room to see what's in there. Well, she goes in, and she's TikToking the whole thing, and there's a whole apartment next to hers in which there's somebody. Obviously, somebody's been there. There's a garbage bags. There's, like, like, so like, eating food. There's a toilet that's, like, in the middle of the room that makes no sense. And she's, like, filming the whole thing. There's a hole downstairs. It's two floors, and somebody was in there able to crawl in and out of her apartment. Somebody, somebody was in
1: there? In there. See, the- I watched the TikToks. Everything in life, when you describe it, is so much better than the reality. It's just, it's just like <laughs> no,
0: she didn't actually see that there had been evidence of life oh. in the apartment of somebody who had, had had access to her apartment, who could have been coming in and out whenever they want. It's very much Candyman, Candyman. Candyman. I was
2: gonna say that, yes, yeah, so the movie, man. Like
0: the horror film Candyman, in which the the, the killer was lit, had
1: access through the bathroom mirror. This is a true story though. Do you remember there was a video, like someone kept on noticing in their studio bedroom apartment in Manhattan that their food was being eaten? Yeah. And they set up a remote camera and this person crawls out from the loft space and they're in bed and comes down and eats it's like a golem. I mean wood pee in
2: their sink.
0: We, we've talked too about the the horror movie that affected me so much when I was growing up. It was a made for TV movie called Bad Ronald, in which Bad Ronald lived between the walls in the crawl in this crawl space, and he would come out every night and you know watch the girls sleep and eat the food in the refrigerator, and then go back between the walls. In my whole life, I've had fear that there's somebody living in the walls of my house, and you just never know what what what's going on because there could be anybody anywhere lurking mm. out to get you. All
1: right, let's move on. Number two. Um, number two, the real world reunion, speaking of people living between the walls sort of thing. Um, Paramount Plus launched the other week, and one of the first things they had was the they're doing a sort of mini-series special. I think it's six episodes. Reuniting the original cast of the original 1992 real world. The MTV, the seminal pioneering. It,
0: started, it, started, the whole re- the, it started the whole reality. It, um, you know, basically, you could say they started the reality trend.
1: You could say. You could say that. And um,
0: the cast is our old friend Norm Corfe, isn't it? Who's someone we know very well. Who's a big, you know... WoW fan and a WoW friend. Becky. Um, Eric Nyes.
2: Julie, right. Heather, Kevin. Oh. Andre. That's what really resonated
1: for me. I mean, I watched it. Like, did you watch it? I did. I watched it last night. I loved it. But did you
0: watch it at the time? Were you Were you old enough? To oh, know? yeah.
2: I watched it. I remember, like, they would show flashbacks in this new series of things that happened. And I would be like, I totally remember that. But I, if you ask me, I... I watched it, yes, but I was like 10. Well, of course it
1: was filmed in nineteen ninety-two during the whole Rodney King uh drama, and one of the kids, Kevin, African American kid, Kevin Powell, was very vocal on the series about issues of racism in America. And uh I think it was Julie who was his sort of mm, I mean she was his. Yeah, she was a young she was a young white dancer from Alabama, and they really got into it. But it's interesting because that episode in particular, I think it was called um, Julie Thinks Kevin is a Psycho. That was the, the title of the episode that aired when they really had a huge blowout. And Julie said she felt threatened by Kevin and that he was a sort of angry black man and that he saw racism everywhere. And Kevin was like, very much of the point of view, like, why can't you see what's right in front of you? What's right under your nose? Well, then, and,
0: doesn't that just sound like every conversation that people are having today on on Twitter and in you know Facebook?
1: It does. But I think I think what has shifted is that whereas then I think Kevin was seen as the outsider with the slightly radical point of view, and that he was kind of cast as the angry black man. I think now people are like, oh, well, hang on a second. Yeah, Kevin was right. You know. But, but I think we are, in,
0: we are in a world full of Karens who, uh, you know, argue that point to, you know, vociferously wherever they go, that they, that they, the white women are the the victims, and that the, you know, African Americans are making it all up.
1: Yeah, I suppose it's true. I suppose in many ways, nothing has changed, but it yeah. was. It, 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 you felt that at the time, the sensibility, let's say, of the network was not really on Kevin's side; it was more on Julie's side. Yeah. And right. I think that, that has that has shifted.
0: And it, it but, is interesting to see that Norman uh, Norm still it retells the story of coming out on on live television and, and the backlash that he got, and how it, how it you know ruined his life for many years. And that so it, that narrative hasn't really changed either. So much is that there's you know. It, it, it's still people are still
1: afraid to come out and it's interesting to me to to know where it's going to go or if it's if it's going to go anywhere because i felt Blake, what did you think i just felt the first episode was the most interesting bit was the flashbacks to the original i I do
2: you mean on this this series like what the rest of the five episodes i wonder about that too it did look the super tease did look kind of fun at the end you know coming up on this season um But I'm more excited to see if it's a hit if they'll do season two and then season three because I yeah. would love to see uh, season two again, Venice. Um, uh,
0: yeah, I, I would be interested in San Francisco where Puck is and how you know the the Pedro Zamora revisiting all of that. And also, I, if you remember, the Seattle season was that mm-hmm. one where they, season seven was that the one where she punched him or, or he, he he slapped her or something? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it will be interesting to see if they if they manage to reunite all the different casts. Yeah,
1: well, you can watch the real world um, on Paramount Plus. All right, uh, next week it's the series finale of RuPaul's Drag Race UK season two, um, and uh, so you should watch it on My Presents Plus. Um, let's take a quick break, uh, and when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week that made us go, wow. Listening
3: to World of
1: Wonders WoW Report. Things that make us go wow. All right, welcome back to the WOW Report. I'm Fenton here with James, St. James, and Blake. And we've been counting down the top 10 things this week that made us go Wow. wow. Um. Yeah, we've reached number one, the big reveal. What is
0: number one, Blake? <laughs> I
1: know, I'm always like, what is number one?
2: Number one. Number one is cancel culture.
0: Oh, well, you know, it's been an interesting week for cancel culture uh, because I don't know if you, I, of course, you did. You noticed that, well, it was last week, I believe, that Dr. Seuss, uh, there was the big hoo ha, the brouhaha, where um, people noticed after 50 years of being in print, suddenly a Republican noticed that there was some racist imagery in a couple of Dr. Seuss books, seven of them to be precise. And six, six of them? Six. Are you sure? Yes, I don't believe you. I think it's seven. I oh, think right. I found another one. I think I believe I found another one. Um, and what? Uh, it, there were some books that had racist imagery of um, some Asians that were portrayed in a way. This is like in the, he wrote them in the 1940s and 50s. Um, there was the. I don't even want to go into what it is, but with the black people as well, some of, there was some there was some African imagery that people felt was outdated. And so Dr. Seuss, the, the Dr. Seuss um, uh, company. the the estate immediately took them out of print and that should have been the end of it because you know that they did what was right but if you watched fox news by god you would have thought the earth was falling apart (laughs) these 50 year old these 60 70 year old books were just going to be the downfall of civilization and everybody just went on and on and on james
2: how would you feel though if all of a sudden, you had six less books on your rating level.
0: Well, I don't think that Dr. Seuss Estate is going to be in, in need of money because they took who? What I saw on Mulberry Street off. Uh-huh. I mean, the, these weren't. It wasn't Hop on Pop. It wasn't Green Eggs and Ham. It wasn't. Yeah. One of, it wasn't one of their big sellers. It. I mean, he has hundreds of books, and these were six that were they were taken out of circulation. Well, I, and I, I, I don't the-
2: understand what. The week before that, it was the P- Mr. Potato Head thing. What
0: well, was Mr. Potato Head. And then also this week, there's been a lot of controversy because Pepe Le Pew is taken out of the Space Jam movie. And Pepe Le Pew is somebody who is probably—nobody watches Pepe Le Pew anymore. No, like, nobody watches Popeye. Nobody watches Woody Woodpecker. Why are people getting upset about Pe- Pepe Le Pew and Speedy Gonzalez? Because
2: they think it's all the Democrats' fault whenever they're the ones that basically invented cul- cancel culture.
0: Well, it, but it, Democrats don't cancel the way that Republicans do.
2: Exactly. Right.
0: The one who was like, you can't eat these beans. You can't watch the." I mean, like Trump is the one who started cancel culture, as far as I'm concerned. But Pepe Le Pew, obviously take him out of don't put him in the movie. He's a very sort of rapey trope. It, he's always, you know, after the the cat with those striped down her back, and she says no, and he doesn't take no for an answer. Speedy Gonzalez has been canceled for, as far as I know, for over ten years now. People have realized that that was a racist Mexican trope of, of, you know, the the his friends were all the lazy uh, guys who sat around and they were drunk all the time. And so, yes, get rid of them, toss them aside. We don't need that. But to hear the Republicans go on and on and on about it is just
2: like it's- they even care. Like they, anymore.
0: they don't they, now. And then one um, of the senators, the Republican senators, went on the Senate floor and read "Green Eggs and Ham" in protest. Did you see that? And it's like, really, we've come to that where Republicans are reading Dr. Seuss to just filibuster and waste our time over a non-issue. It's sort of
2: infantilizing.
0: It is. It is. It's just. It's maddening. So you know, meanwhile,
2: I mean. A list of things that Christians have are a list of things that they've canceled. Uh, the Dixie Chicks. Yes. Monster Soda. Yes. Um. Nike.
0: Remember the Remember they would buy the Nike shoes and then burn them, <laughs> giving Nike the money. Nike already got. The, and that makes no sense whatsoever. God, you know, just it's just the the ridiculousness of of these people it's just money.
2: totally. That's all we got
1: time for. Thanks for tuning into the Wow Report. Um, thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. Uh, thank you, Randy. Um, you can listen to previous episodes on our YouTube channel. Wow Presents. Um, and see you same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow.